welcome to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. We are lucky enough to have with us today Jackie Coatesworth. Thank you so much for coming on, Jackie. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. So um, we've had a bit of a chat over Instagram about your story so far, but I would love for our listeners to just be able to hear a bit more about it. So can you take us back to the beginning where it, where it all started happening um, and when you first even heard of the word hip dysplasia? Sure. So... Um, it was a long time ago. I'm 35 now, and this kind of all started about 20 years ago. Um, I had heard of hip dysplasia before that because my brother actually has it as well. Oh. So he had a surgery when he was young. Um, but I was about 14 or 15, and I started having a lot of back pain. Um, so we started just trying to figure out what was going on with that and why I was in pain, say, at such a young age. And I was diagnosed with scoliosis mm -hmm. and also bilateral hip dysplasia. So, so all at the same time. At the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the scoliosis was the most pressing issue um, and the most important to be addressed. My hips were giving me a little bit of grief, but not too much. So, um, yeah, my scoliosis was progressing quite quickly and wasn't easily controlled. I did have a back brace for a while, um, but it just didn't slow down the progression of the curvature of the spine. Mm -hmm. So at the age of 16, I had um, a spinal fusion, so nine vertebrae fused together. Um, and then as soon as I had that, I actually remember laying in hospital after my back surgery and my hips started hurting because obviously <laughs> realizing in my spine made everything with my pelvis worse. So I started getting hip pain um, yeah, at the age of 16 after my spinal fusion and it was, yeah, it was manageable. Um, so I just dealt with it the best I could for a few years and the pain got really bad. Uh, so when I was 20, I had an open labral repair. So of course it's done arthroscopically now, but back then it was an open procedure. So I have a 30 centimeter scar down the side of my thigh um, just to get in and do to the labral repair. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty crazy. Um, and so the label repair got me through my 20s uh, without too much pain. It would sort of be painful on and off, but it was mostly manageable. And then when I was 30, it just all started to go downhill and I started getting um, a lot more hip pain. And that's when I started seeing more specialists and yeah, have since had two PAOs, one on each side, screw removal. And an arthroscopic label repair now as well. Wow, I mean that is a massive history there. There's a lot that's gone on in that last twenty years for yeah. you. Um, and yeah. yeah, so that's that's a very very brief overview of that. And there's a lot for us to to chat about within that, if you don't mind. Um, so yeah, let's go let's go back to the scoliosis. So for the people that are listening that don't know what a scoliosis is, could you talk us through what a scoliosis is? Or how it so, it's a, so it's a curvature of the spine. Um, so some people have a C curve where it curves out to one side and other people have an S curve where it will curve one side and then back in the other direction. Um, so it's a sideways curvature. Um, and yeah, just unfortunately means that all your internal organs can be pushed out of place. It's moving your spinal cord and doing all sorts of internal damage. So it's not a good thing. Um, it is very, very common. Lots of people will have some form of scoliosis and potentially not even know about it if it's just quite minor. Yeah, but then, it, yeah, but when it gets to a certain point, 
um, yeah, the curvature has to either be stopped in some way. So having uh, back braces can help with that, or it has to be corrected where they, they open you up and put metal rods down your spine. So I have two metal rods and screws and nine vertebrae holding it, holding it straight or holding it as straight as it can be. So for me, the first sign was back pain. Um, some people will notice they have it because one side of their spine or one side of their back is more prominent than the other. So a muscle imbalance. Um, I have a little bit of an imbalance in my shoulders. So some people might notice it there. Yeah. But for me, it was the pain. Absolutely. And you said you started off with a back brace. What sort of brace did you use? Was it sort of one of the corset type ones or how? Yeah. how did so, you um, I don't really, such a long time ago, but I think it was fiberglass or some sort of plastic or something. So they did it, took a, yeah, yeah, they took a mold basically of me. So like a plaster cast mold and then made a plastic brace. So it was just done up at, um, at the side with Velcro. So yeah, it's like a massive corset. For me, it was quite large because my spine was quite big. Um, oh, sorry, my spine was got my curve was quite big, so <laughs> it had to be quite a significant brace. It went all the way down to my hips and then up over my chest as well. Um, but I only had that for about six months because my curve was just progressing too quickly. And was it a congenital issue? Is that something that had been there since you were very little, since you were born, or was that something that had developed as a compensation for you know perhaps the hips? Don't really know for sure. So nothing was diagnosed until I was about 30, uh, sorry, 14 or 15. Mm -hmm. So my hips, there was nothing picked up um, when they check at birth. And with my spine, you just didn't notice anything until I was at that age. So I believe it just developed um, through adolescence. But yeah, don't really know, unfortunately. <laughs> That's all right. Um, and you said that your brother has hip dysplasia as well. Is he older or younger than you? He's older, so four years older. Um, so I'm not exactly sure of the surgeries that he had. He had two when he was quite young. Um, one, I think, was a femoral osteotomy. Um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that. He has since had a hip replacement. Oh, has so he? What age is he now then? So is he... So he is 38. 38. And how's he managed with his hip replacement? Yeah, really, really good. Um, yeah, he's kind of putting it through its paces um he's quite active so he's definitely it out. Out. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's holding up really really well and he's he's very very pleased with it oh that's great news perhaps we'll be able yeah. to have a chat with him at some point as well further yeah. down the line um, yeah. so you started managing with the scoliosis you were in the brace you had the surgery um when you had the surgery and you had the rods popped in your in your spine, um, how did that then affect the rest of your movement? Because obviously, if you've got your thoracic spine that's not able to move, is was it restricted in one direction or is it restricted completely in all directions? Um, throughout the fusion, it is restricted in all directions, but mine's so it's T4 to L1, so pretty much right in the middle. So in terms of my overall mobility, I actually am still pretty reasonable reasonably flexible and uh, like I can bend and touch my toes with no problem so I'm quite lucky that I have an hamstrings. <laughs> um so I mean it's it is difficult twisting 
or if I do try to curve my spine for any reason, trying to bend over if I'm doing a specific type of exercise, it is definitely hard. But in terms of day-to-day -day living, my mobility and flexibility hasn't really been compromised. So That's very lucky with that. Yeah. So, okay, so you start getting over and getting used to um, the surgery that you've had for your scoliosis. And then what's the time period between the surgery for the scoliosis and then starting to deal with the hip dysplasia? Um, so it was, yeah, it was right away. As soon as I was laying, yeah, I remember being in hospital and wondering why one of my hips hurt because I've just had spinal surgery. What is going on? Um, so it was right away in terms of dealing with the pain. I don't think I really dealt with it, um, for a couple of years. Thankfully the same surgeon that did my scoliosis spinal fusion, um, was able to help with my hip at that time as well. So yeah, it was four years later after the spinal fusion that I had my, the label repair. At that time, there was no mention whatsoever of anything like a PAO. Um, I don't know whether it was because that surgeon didn't do that procedure or whether he wasn't overly familiar with hip dysplasia, mm -hmm. um, but there was definitely a labral tear. So his focus was fixing that. And at the time it was a good thing and it did get me through most of my twenties with minimal pain, but unfortunately long-term because of the way that he did it with it being an open procedure, it has actually caused me more problems long-term. Um, I've ended up with some heterotopic ossification from the scar tissue and the damage. I um, because I know what that means. Would you mind just expanding on that a little bit? So my understanding <laughs> from a non-medical background is basically abnormal bone growth. So some sort of soft tissue has morphed into bone where it shouldn't have. And so um, I will we'll come back to that, I suppose. But is that something that's yet to be dealt with or is that being dealt with now? That was dealt with. So um, it was about three months ago, I had an arthroscopic labral repair. And in that procedure, my new surgeon, who's done these four recent surgeries, um, he also did some bone removal to, to shave down that abnormal bone growth. And you've noticed a difference in having that done? Yes, yeah. That's probably the one <laughs> thing that I actually finally noticed some relief from. Um, because the abnormal bone growth, where it was sitting on my acetabulum, was impinging and, and causing pressure on things that... There shouldn't have been pressure on. So thankfully with that gone, it's it's one one bit of relief. <laughs> so um going back to the initial label repair that you had done then um when you were around 20, I believe. Yes. Um, so a lot of our listeners have label issues um with their hips. So how did it feel for you when you were having this label pain? Um can you remember the feelings, the sensations? How would you describe it? Um it was always, I think, a very, very sharp pain and sort of that catching pain where I'd take a step forward and just something wouldn't be sitting right. I guess, yeah, it's hard to, really, really hard to explain. Um, I know what you mean because I have it, I mean, I have it myself. Yeah. I haven't had mine repaired yet, but I'm, I'm yeah. pretty certain that I've had this going on yeah. for quite a few years um, and uh, yeah, not had anything done about it yet. But um, I know exactly what you mean with that sharp catching. You just... Yes. My surprise, it kind of takes your breath away a little bit. Um, and then you kind of have to do like some weird movement with your leg and then you can carry on. And it's almost like it's gone completely. You just think that it's really random. Um, yeah. Is that a similar experience for you? 
yes definitely and when it is really bad and so you, you might be out for a walk and it's every step where you've got that sharp catching pain or it could be something as simple as laying in bed and you roll over and it's jarring so yeah okay not a nice feeling <laughs> so you said that the label repair that you had done did you have that done bilaterally no that's so that's just on the one side just okay. on the right always been the worst okay so you had that done then and you said that gave you relief for your 20s i mean that's quite a long period of time 10 years yeah. from having a re label repair done um yeah what was the recovery like after having um the repair done was it quite a long time in terms of getting back to normal function or you know was it a slower process um uh, I, at the time i didn't really have anything to compare it to apart from the spinal surgery but the first hip one so whereas now I've had an arthroscopic labor repair which is so much more straightforward um, so it was quite an extensive recovery um, but yeah certainly nothing compared to a PAO as well so yeah it was definitely invasive um, and yeah not an easy easy surgery to go through but then I guess Probably none really are that easy. Um, yeah, I yeah. I mean, I guess I was twenty, so it was. It seemed like a big recovery because I just wanted to be active, and it's so hard being on crutches for such a long period of time when you're at that sort of age. So it was hard. So when you were in your twenties, what were your activities like? Are you, were you working in your twenties? Did you have any hobbies that you liked to do? What was your sort of daily function like, and how did it affect your function? Um, so through my 20s, I, I was moderate, moderately active, I would say. So I definitely didn't play any sports or do anything overly physical. And I think that comes back to having the scoliosis, having the spinal fusion and the risk of damaging that. And then also the hip surgery. I hadn't played sports since I was about 13 because throughout, you know, my teenage years I was going through the spinal surgery so um, sport wasn't a regular part of my life so in terms of physical physical activity I'd, I'd say it was moderate um, I did work or initially uh, at my early 20s I went to university and then I worked full-time and then actually in my mid-20s I got into aviation so I started flying oh, wow. um, pilot when I was 24 which I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for because going into that and you need to hold a medical certificate to, to be able to become a pilot and comply with certain medical criteria. And I didn't know if I'd be able to do it because of all the issues that I'd had and the problems with my spine, I thought that'd just rule me out. But no, I got my medical certificate and I learned to fly. And um, that was the rest of my twenties. I actually became a flying instructor. I got all my qualifications and licenses. Uh, I worked as a flying instructor for a few years, teaching people how to fly. And then after that, I transitioned into air traffic control, which is what I do now. So still in aviation, mm -hmm. um, I love, but yeah, no longer flying, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but yeah, thankfully we've been able to, you know, work and do all these amazing things despite my back and my hips. It's absolutely incredible. And when I was listening to you talk about that, I literally got goosebumps all over the world. That was that was a really cool story to be able to go through that. You know, the criteria yeah. 
for any of those type of jobs is, is so strict. So it's really reassuring and hopefully for other people listening as well to know that just because we have some of these issues, it doesn't rule us out and, you know, being able to chase our dreams and do what we want to do, that doesn't, that doesn't have to stop us. So yeah, yeah absolutely. That. Um, yeah, there was almost one thing for me is I didn't want it to hold me back from anything. Mm -hmm. um, so I was pretty determined and I still am now pretty determined to just carry on not just a normal life but push the boundaries and do those extra things and don't feel like these problems like hip dyslexia are going to stop you from doing anything. So what are your goals now? What are you working towards? Um, at the moment just working, to get, working on getting back to work um, because I'm still off from my most recent surgery. Mm -hmm. So the surgery I had in June was an arthroscopic label repair. So reasonably straightforward compared to a PAO, but I had four hip surgeries within 19 months. So Why quite a lot, um, quite a lot in such a short space of time. And so this recovery has just been slower than I guess a normal arthroscopic label repair would be. Um, so yeah, that's my first goal is just getting my medical certificate back so that I can go back to work as an air traffic controller and that should only be a couple of weeks away. Oh, that's um, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty much back to normal now, just a little unsteady at times on my feet and then goals beyond that. I just want to be as normal as I can be. I don't have any big goals of sports or doing any big marathons or anything like that but I just want to get to a point yeah, where I can does it it's about what's important to you and, and yeah. the life that you want and that you dream and that doesn't have to be about sport that's that's such a small part of of life um so yeah whatever your dreams and your goals are it's just amazing to hear that you you want to keep chasing them and you want to keep doing everything yeah you ever wanted to do yeah I just want to be able to you know go hiking with my friends in the weekend or jump on the paddle board and go out on the lake for a couple of hours you know those sorts of fun yeah. weekend adventures that sometimes people take for granted and yeah I think that would make life pretty amazing if I can just do that without hip pain or without being held back that's incredible um so <clears throat> going back to the PAOs because I think that's the most common surgery that um, we hear about in this um, in this community. Yeah. Going back to those, which one did you have done first? The right. So my right hip has always been the worst of the two. It's been yeah the one that's been most testing. So that's one I had the open label repair on uh, a long time ago, and then that was the first PAO. Okay, and then how long between having the right and the left done? Eight months. Oh, that's really close. Yeah, and it wasn't planned. Um, so the weird thing about these four surgeries that I've had is every surgery I thought would be the one. You know, I would have the right PAO and then I would move on with life and that would be the last. But as soon as I did it, I could feel that the left was still was not good because of all the pressure and it, with it compensating while I was recovering from the right. I knew that the left wasn't great and so I just decided to get it over and done with. And I mean, the right hip, I'm probably still gonna need work. It's likely that I'll have a hip replacement at some stage. Whereas my left is not much damage. So it's definitely hip preservation surgery. And so you had the left done eight months later just to get it over and done with and hopefully minimize the damage to it. And how do you cope with this emotionally? Because when you've, you've obviously had quite an extensive history of surgeries happening. Mm -hmm. 
and when you are going into each of these this is going to be this is going to be the one that that solves it and then consequently having had quite a few more interventions since how do you now approach your surgeries emotionally because i think that's a massive massive consideration that perhaps not a lot of us are always prepared for so can you talk us through how you how you manage with that approaching surgeries yeah it's a tough one because Sometimes I don't know if I am managing it well. I still have days now where I do struggle and it's hard. Um, and I'm actually finally in a place where I think I won't be having any surgeries for quite some time. This last one actually was the last one, um, but it's still really hard mentally. So I think for me, the biggest thing has been just focusing on a positive attitude as much as I can and it's not all the time I have bad days and I have bad weeks but reminding myself that things could be so much worse and that despite all of the surgeries I'm still healthy so you know we have our bones cut apart but they heal and our bodies are amazing and we get better and we get stronger and you move on to the next obstacle so I think that's the biggest thing for me is just reminding myself that what I'm going through is not the end of the world and you just take each day as it comes and it will get easier and <laughs> things could always be worse. Absolutely. So positive mental attitude is your um, number one tip, would you say, for coping with this, uh, with the hip dysplasia? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's absolutely incredible. So we've gone through a little bit about your history and your journey up to date. Um, looking back over the whole journey, can you recall any moments um, that put a massive smile on your face? So we've talked about some of the things that you've struggled with, but are there any amazing or happy memories from looking back over this journey? Yeah, I think it's definitely made me grateful for the small things and made me recognize what does make me happy. So for example, I absolutely love the beach and living somewhere like New Zealand, we've got very easy access to the ocean and amazing beaches everywhere. So after my right PAO, um, I think I was about nine weeks post-op when I see, saw the surgeon and he gave me clearance for full weight bearing. So I said to my mum, first place we have to go is to the beach. <laughs> the beach. Because being full weight bearing, I knew that then it was safe to walk on sand and I wasn't going to hurt myself if I slipped. And that was where I took my first steps, I guess, which sounds very cheesy, but my first oh, weight bearing. at all, it's great. Yeah, after that first right PAO was, yeah, walking on the sand at the beach. Um, so it's things like that. And so I think that's gave, given me a huge appreciation for being able to walk on the beach because it's things like that that you can take for granted. Whereas now it's incredibly important to me. So I make the time to get out and go for walks on the beach. And every time I do that, I'm grateful that I can do that because there are people out there that can't. And, you know, that might be their happy place, but there's just nothing that they can do about it. Whereas for me, I can actually make myself get to the beach and go for a walk. And, yeah, so it's things like that that have put a smile on my face and continue to put a smile on my face even so long after the event. That's incredible. And I completely right the beach is my favorite place as well. And um, going down there with my girlfriend, the dogs, and just spending the day at the beach is just, it, that's my happy place as well. Yeah. So I completely relate to that. Yeah. Um, so what about rehab now? Are you doing anything at the moment in terms of rehab, physio, 
training, strengthening exercises. What's your sort of routine with that now? Um, so at the moment, I'm lost count. I'm, I think I'm about 12 weeks post-op. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not quite, maybe 11 weeks post-op from the latest surgery. So I still have physiotherapy generally once a week, sometime every second week now. Um, and just yeah, working on basic rehab strength exercises and mobility work. Um, so a little bit of stretching and just making sure my range of motion is improving. Um, and then just getting as active as I can be. So I'm still quite restricted in terms of strength and also pain at the moment, but just going for little walks when I can and going to the gym and just hopping on the bike and doing an hour on the exercise just to feel like I'm moving. What's an exercise cycle? Oh, just a bike, like a stationary bike. Oh, fuck. <laughs> just different words in different countries. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you've got some strengthening stuff, some mobility stuff going on. Um, and then I guess this is just sort of all just functional progression until one day it's the hip replacement, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as I'm aware, I just do the best I can to manage the pain that I do still have, unfortunately, I'm not 100%, um, but I'll just get by for as long as I can until I do need a hip replacement. So there is definitely um, deterioration in the bone in the hip, but at the moment, it's still okay to keep going and it's still strong enough to live a normal life. So I'll just push that out as far as I possibly can. Yeah, let it linger as long as possible before the hip replacements. But um, hopefully it's reassuring to know that so many people that I've spoken to that have had the hip replacements I've not had one person that I've spoken to that's had a negative outcome from a hip replacement yet. So many people are just amazing. so much happier and in so much less pain after having the hip replacements done. So I think it's great to try and leave it as long as possible before we have the hip replacements. Like they have, they don't have a lifelong shelf life once they've been done, but to, to make sure that we can be as functionally active as possible before we have them done. But yeah, I'm personally through doing this process and speaking to so many more people feeling so much more positive about upcoming surgeries and upcoming things that are set to approach at some point. And so yeah, this is, this is working out very well for me and hopefully everybody else that's listening. Um, but it's lovely to hear and have that support from people. Um, so have you, have you had a good support since that's what we're speaking about right now your support system around you has that been pretty key yes definitely um so i'm very lucky that i have got an amazing family and amazing friends so after every surgery i've been able to stay with my parents and have them look after me nothing quite like having mum look after you um so yeah that's been really really good and i do feel very lucky because i know not everybody has that ability but yeah, especially the PAOs being able to stay with my parents and just having people around made a big difference um, and also friends just yeah the support of friends really does make a difference and making sure they understand what's going on um, and how hard it can be so that they know to either pop in and visit or just send you a message um, I think making that clear before surgery is really important because you can feel very, very isolated when you are a bit stuck afterwards and especially the PAOs being so big and so invasive. Um, yeah, it can be isolating. And then also finding 
support beyond your own personal network. So Instagram is amazing and being able to connect with other people who are going through the same thing. So, you know, just ha search a hashtag and you'll <laughs> find other people. Um, and also Facebook groups is the other thing. So I didn't really, I didn't join any groups before my first PAO. I think I, I was a little bit nervous to know too much about it, but joining the first group after my PAO and just finding out there are so many people around the world going through the same thing. And no matter what you're feeling, someone else has been through the same thing. So yeah, I think your close support network is amazing, but also going a little bit further abroad and, and finding people all over the world going through the same things. Do you remember which um, groups on Facebook or Instagram that you have found that have been really useful for oh. you? I can't remember the name. There's a worldwide periacetabular osteotomy group. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's just what it's called is yeah, periacetabular osteotomy. And there may be another word after I can find out. Yeah, um, so that because we can let other people know, because if that was really, yeah. it might be useful for others. Too. That's probably the main one. Um, and on Instagram, yeah, just occasionally searching a hashtag or if you go onto one person's profile on Instagram and then you might see that somebody else has commented. So, um, yeah, there's lots of people. Lots Trying of people to expand around. your network. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So, I mean, it's been amazing to hear your journey and hear everything that you've been going through. And it would be incredible to stay in touch with you and just see how you get like along. And um, so if you wouldn't mind, we'd love to, love to hear from you again and keep in touch. Um, so thank you so much, Jackie Coatesworth, for coming on to help for hip dysplasia today. Thank you so, so much for having me. And thank you for putting together these amazing podcasts and bringing everyone together. It's, it's an incredible thing to do. You're so welcome. We hope so much that it can just help and support other people. So we'll it will. <laughs> Thanks, Jackie. Thank you.